dismissed up to King's table. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christian Fellowship. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for getting here on time. It's going to be really fun in like an hour when people stroll in late because they didn't set their clocks right. So we'll all point and laugh at those people uh, when they get here. So that'll be fun. Uh, thank you guys, truly, though, for being here and making, making this a priority. Um, as we begin this morning, uh, about a month, month and a half or so ago, um, Lauren Floyd uh, asked me about putting together a marriage night. She, she had this idea for this marriage event um, to bless the couples of our church. And from that became, uh, we tweaked and changed some things, and from that became what we did yesterday. We did a marriage seminar yesterday here at the church. Uh, we had teaching from a pastor in Texas, um, video teaching, and there was a group of us, it was a group of like 10 of us, and it was a great, awesome day, um, very encouraging. I know for Sarah and I, we got to hear some good teaching, and I know we went home last night and kind of processed through what we had learned and, and you know, wanting to bring some of those things we learned into our marriage now. So it was really a good day. It was really encouraging. So Lauren, thank you very much for starting that conversation. I very much appreciate that. Um, and in general, like that is exactly what I want to see us as a church move toward. You guys know our calendar during the week is, is fairly light. We're not a very program-heavy church. Um, we have our community groups. We have Sunday mornings. And that's about it. And that's intentional. Um, because we want to give space. A, we want to make community groups a priority. If you're not in a community group, you should get in one because they're awesome. Uh, but two, we want to give space for when people have a passion, when people of this church have a passion for something, okay, let's pursue it. And our calendar is not so bogged down with events that we can't make it a priority. So if there's something you're passionate about, something you want to see us try and do as a church, talk to me, talk to Amy, and let's start having those conversations and work towards that so we can do cool events like the marriage thing we did yesterday. So um, we're going to be in 1 John this morning, so go ahead and open up to 1 John if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you, and the, those Bibles, 1 John, is found on page 1021. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please keep that. So we are in this First John series, um, and last week we looked at John's practical advice that was for our own good. John said last week, do not love the world or the things in this world because they are failing. They are falling away. They will fail you. And so we learn that regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, no matter how mature you are, there is the temptation of the world that was always there, and it is always real. And every one of us still has maturing and growing to do. This morning, I want to start us with a quote um, from a pastor from the 1900s. His name was S.D. Gordon. He said, It is startling to think that Satan can actually come into the heart of a man in such close proximity with Jesus as Judas was. And more, he is cunningly trying to do it today. Yet he can get in only through a door opened from the inside. Every man controls the door of his own life. Satan can't get in without our help. In this morning's passage, uh, John shares another practical warning for us. And as we look at the text this morning, we're going to see the problem, the warning that he gives us, a promise that God makes to us, and the practice for us to pursue. So that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into 1 John chapter 2. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day to worship you, to gather together, to sing your praises, and to glorify you and make much of you. God, we come to you today, and we come to you carrying weights. Um, 
God, we come to you with the weight of exhaustion and fear and anxiety and doubt and worry, stresses of school and jobs and just life. And we carry these things around with us all the time. And so when we come here this morning, God, we come to put these weights down, these things that sap our energy. Lord, we come to you today and we know that we can drop these weights, we can drop these things and let you carry them and you will relieve the burden and the pain and the stress. God, as we study this morning, help us to understand, help us to pursue abiding in you and what it means to truly dwell and rest in you. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know, tr- you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So if you've been with us for a while, you know that we're doing like four times the amount of verses that we've been doing the last couple of weeks. This is a very large chunk. And today's sermon is going to sound a little different. We're going to look a little different. We're going to do a lot of jumping around. So keep those Bibles open uh, because we're going to do a lot of hopping around this morning. So let's start with the problem. The problem of humanity. The problem that humanity faces. John says, look, it is the last hour. The Antichrist is coming and now the Antichrists have come. The fact that it's the last hour isn't the problem so much as it's the setting for the problem. This last hour seems to last from the time that Jesus ascends back into heaven until when he will come again. That is the last hour, the last days, as it's referred to in other places in the Bible. Which means we are still in that last hour. This time where we are waiting for Christ to return. And so you might say that and say, man, if John was talking about the last hour and we're still in it, this last hour is going slower than the last hour of the last day of before summer break. It's taking forever. But you see, the New Testament readers, those people who received these letters, those guys who wrote these letters, there was this sense they believed that Christ was coming and was coming at any moment. And it's because of that belief, it's because of that assumption that we have letters like this one, where people like John, because they were convinced that Christ could come back at any moment, 
They wanted to live expectant of that, be ready for his return. It affected the way they thought. It affected the way they acted. It affected and changed everything about the way they lived. And so as a side question, does it affect us in the same way? If we're living in the same last hour, do we live with that same kind of expectancy in our day-to-day basis, in our day-to-day world? And does it affect us in the same way that it does guys like John? John says it's the last hour, and we know this because of the problem that is at hand. The Antichrists. This term, Antichrist, actually only appears in John's first and second letters. That word is actually never used in any other place. Now, scholars, and over time and over history, we've taken that term and we've used it in other places, right? There, there's prophecy at the end of the book of Daniel, and, and he refers to somebody, and we call that the Antichrist. Or, obviously, in the book of Revelation, it talks about this one who is going to rise up, this false teacher, and we name him as the Antichrist. But the actual word is only used here in 1 John and then in his second letter as well. So what does that mean? What does this word Antichrist mean? The word is antichristos. That's, that's the actual word. It's a compound word. So anti is in opposition to, against, and then Christos is the anointed. So literally, Antichrist is someone who is opposite of or against Christ. Now I think it's interesting, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's interesting that he uses the word Antichrist and not pseudo-Christ, which is used in the Gospels where it talks about a false messiah. The Antichrist is not a fake Jesus, not someone who's going to pretend to be Jesus and try and deceive people. The Antichrist is someone who is against or in opposition to Christ. He will be an Antichrist, a liar and deceiver, attacking and going to war with all that Christ stands for and his people. So what are the qualities? What are we looking out for? John gives us kind of a description of who these Antichrists are. And so he says in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They went out from us. So if they went out from us, that means they were part of us. They were part of the church. They were part of the community. They sang the songs. They prayed the prayers. They knew the lingo. This is the very embodiment of the idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Why does the wolf put on sheep's clothing? To be undetected. He's looking to get in to destroy and kill the sheep. It's not a long-term change, right? The, The wolf is not putting on the sheep's clothing in hopes that he'll just blend into the flock and become part of the flock and the shepherd won't notice. It's not a long-term plan. They come in temporarily looking like a sheep to kill and destroy and then leave. John says the Antichrist do the same thing. They blend in for a while. They become part of the community. They check things out and they, they appear by all appearances to be on the up and up but eventually leave after causing as much chaos and destruction as they possibly can. Sometimes they take people with them, sometimes they just leave after causing as much disunity and pain as possible. Our church history, the the history of the church as a whole, is marked by different churches being split and broken. I have friends who have gone through these church splits where someone came into the church, started saying things, started causing disunity, and churches have split and broken and crumbled because of Antichrist. 
And so here's one of the problems with the Antichrist is that they look the part. They know the things to say. They know what to do. They blend in. They walk, talk, and act like it. But in reality, they don't believe anything. That's a scary reality. And so John gives us a hint of a way to know if someone is in this camp, if someone is one of these antichrists. If they had been with us, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Perseverance. Perseverance is a mark of being a Christian. It is a constant theme in the Bible. Stay true. Hold fast. Continue on. You see, as the church starts after Jesus ascends into heaven, you see the Christians getting beaten and threatened and thrown in jail for what they believed, and they press on, they continue on, they rejoice in it. Because perseverance is a mark of being a Christian. See, community, relationships, fellowship, it's messy. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's a lot easier to just run and hide, to be invisible, to not connect with other people, or to just bail. But you see, that comes back to perseverance is tied to the command that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. We are commanded to love God, love people. And that second one, love people, it's not love people when it's easy or convenient. We are called to love people. But these antichrists, they stay for a while and then they leave. So clearly perseverance is not something that is in their character. So is John saying here anyone who leaves a church is an antichrist? No. People leave churches. Right? I, Sarah and I had to leave a church to come to this church. Pretty much everyone here, other than like maybe the Ricos and Carl Ratke, has left a church to come to this church. <laughs> so leaving a church is not the issue. And then there's those who would say, well, I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. And yes, to a degree, you're right. Church doesn't save you. Doing this doesn't save you. But if you are a Christian, you should want to be in a community of believers because it is a gift given to us by God. And the local church is a local representation of God's love. We are representing Christ to Roscoe Village. That's what we're called to do. It's why the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And so John isn't just saying that they left the local church. They left the fellowship of believers, the community of the Big C Church. Okay, so there's a difference here. So there's Big C Church, Little C Church. Little C Church, local church. Christian fellowship is a local representation of the body of Christ. We are a Little C Church. And then there's the Big C Church, capital C, the universal church, that we are all Christians are a part of. So when we, have, when we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, Christians who are in other parts of the world where they get attacked and killed for their faith. They are our brothers and sisters. They are part of our community just as much as we are part of this community. And so John says these antichrists left that fellowship. They left the big C church. Fellowship is a relationship, a friendship that is built on having things in common and a mutual care for one another. These antichrists bailed on that. They left, and in doing so, they proved that they were never really part of the community. They were never really part of the community of believers to begin with because Christians persevere. So these false teachers leave and they show their true colors. They align themselves with the darkness, with the temptations of the world, with Satan. 
So how do we know? How do we know if we have a wolf in sheep's clothing in our midst? Well, just here at CF, we have some things put in place to kind of help with some of that. It's why, as part of membership, for those of you who are members, you know this, you have to be part of this church regularly for at least six months before we will even accept, even have that conversation about you becoming a member. Why? Because we need that time to start to get to know you and you us. Have intentional conversations with people. Starting to try and press into what do you believe, where, what, what's your background. Starting to just get to know one another. John gives us a big way we can know whether someone is an antichrist or not. In verse 22 and verse 23, he says they deny who Jesus is. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. They deny Jesus is the Christ. Now I want to make a distinction here, okay? Because... There are people who may come into our church, who may come into CF and questioning and not affirming that Jesus is the Christ. They have questions. They're trying to learn. They're trying to grow. That is different than a wolf in sheep's clothing. Someone who just flat out denies Jesus is the Christ and is looking to do harm and destroy. Right? There's a difference between those things. Someone can come in denying Jesus is the Christ because they just don't know any better and they're trying to learn and ask questions. And then there's someone who is looking to do harm. We understand there's a distinction between those things? Yes? Cool. John says these people deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now we've said over and over, one of the big reasons why John is writing this letter is to affirm and solidify the truth that these Christians have known, that they have been taught, to make sure that their faith is being built on a firm foundation. And so the big question you have to get to is who is Jesus? That is the big, important question to answer. When I talk to people, and we talk about church, and we talk about faith and and religion, I inevitably try and steer that conversation as quickly as I can to, who do you think Jesus is? Because that's the important question. Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral guide? Is he a myth? Did he even exist? Is he the Son of God? Who is Jesus? Because when you start to ask that question, that starts to reveal people's belief. It starts to reveal people's heart. And so John says these people deny that Jesus is the Christ. There were false teachers at that time who taught that Jesus was just a guy, that God picked him out and he became the Son of God. Like God just gave him just the weirdest, I I said when we did the introduction to this letter, it's like a Marvel origin story. Like he just kind of got bit by a radioactive spider and now he is the Son of God. There was a belief that that was the truth, that Jesus was not anything special until God made him special. There was another one that Jesus wasn't actually a person, that he was a spirit. He looked like a person, but he wasn't actually a person. So when he died, it didn't really matter because he wasn't really an actual flesh person. John addressed that in the beginning of this letter, right? He said, in the opening of this letter, he said, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands. John said very quickly, look, Jesus was no spirit. I spent time with him. I I touched him. I was around him. I know he was a person. John has reminded us regularly throughout this letter that we know truth, that you know that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. See, the Antichrist will try to deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one, the one that God promised in Genesis 3 when he said, I'm going to send one who's going to go to war with Satan. That person was Jesus. And the Antichrist say, no, it wasn't. They will claim that he wasn't who he said he was. And so if you're going to do that, if you're going to try and claim that Jesus isn't who he said he is, you are denying who Jesus is, then you deny the Father as well. Because Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. So when you say, I don't believe in Jesus, what you're saying is, I don't believe in God, at least the God of the Bible. The assertion that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is who he said he is, on that hangs everything. Because if he isn't God, then he's just some guy, and we're all in a lot of trouble. Because we're still all on the hook for our own sin. It's on that claim that Jesus is who he says he was, that Jesus was God. It's on that claim that false teachers will try to improve or change or manipulate or just flat out deny. They claim they have a new revelation, a different understanding, a brand new interpretation, a different, more important thing. And so they try to push Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross to be a secondary or a thirdary or a fourthary thing. When in actuality, it is the most important thing. And so that's why John says in verse 24, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. What does abide mean? To dwell, to rest in, to stay put, to be grounded in. Let the truth that made sense to you on that day, on that day when you realized that based on your sin, you were destined for hell and separation from God. But because God is good, because God is love, he sent Jesus to live a perfect life and die and be punished for you and your sin in your place and then rise from the dead three days later to give you a new life and a new identity and a new hope. Let that truth that you understood on that day when it all made sense, when it clicked, when the Holy Spirit made it made sense and it clicked in you, abide in that. Dwell on that because that is everything. False teachers, these antichrists, want to push that to the side, want to try and make it something less, want to try and add to it or minimize it or just eliminate it because it is so important. It is the life-changing, history-altering reality that Christ, God, came in the flesh lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. So John has given us a description of these antichrists, that many come from the church, that they get themselves into a community, they throw around the title of Christian or even pastor, and they spread false truths, and they try to confuse and hurt and destroy. Even in verse 26, he says, they deceive, that's what they do, that's their M.O., they want to destroy and hurt as much as they can. And so if you look throughout history, many and most probably cult leaders and false teachers have some kind of church background to them. Most of these guys, these people who were teaching at this time, came out of the synagogues, came out of the New Testament church. They have a church background. And they took from that and went off in their own direction. And this is a reality of today. And I think, if anything, it's probably scarier for us today because at least in John's day, a voice could only carry so far. 
At least in John's day, information, it took a little time to travel. But now, anyone with a phone or an internet connection can make themselves out to be whoever they want to be. A person can say just enough of the right words to make it seem like they are a Christian, that they are a voice to be listened to. You can post a blog or you can have a podcast and your voice can go out to thousands, maybe even millions. And these antichrists take advantage of that. There is so much noise in the world that if you throw out enough key words, people will just assume it's fine and good and they take advantage of that. We said last week, one of the pillars of the culture of this world is the lust of the eyes. The appeal of outward beauty with no regard for the inner quality. They take advantage of that. This is a real problem for our world today, that there is so much content and information out there, and it is so readily available that we get caught up following someone or something that is in actuality an antichrist. This is the problem of humanity. So now what? I think we've given enough attention to the dark side. So let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the promises that God has made. In the midst of this problem, God has made promises. Look at verse 20, and then we're going to skip down to verse 24. Verse 20 says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. We are not left to be victims of these false teachers. You have been anointed by the Holy One. Jesus is the Holy One. You have been anointed. That's one of those old words that we don't really use anymore. But in Old Testament days, you were anointed with oil. They would take oil and pour it over your head. It was a symbolic gesture. It says you have been poured out. The Holy Spirit has been poured out onto you. Jesus has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus said this in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit is one of the three members of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God in perfect relationship and submission to one another. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is reveal truth. I've had a lot of people in my life who are not Christians. And as I've grown up and I've made decisions that I felt God was leading me in, that I've gotten counsel on it, and I felt like I was pursuing the Holy Spirit in these things, I've had a lot of different times where these people who are not Christians tell me that what I was doing was wrong or foolish or stupid. Because when you say to somebody, when you're 17, and you say, I want to be a pastor, or you spend a bunch of money to go to college and then spend a bunch more money to go to seminary, and you spend a lot of money to do those things, to go get a job, which, just a little heads up, this is, doesn't make the big, big bucks. People look at you funny, like, you're going to spend how much money so you can get a job so you can make how much money? And that doesn't make sense. A bunch of people 
you know, will say, you're going to give up your Saturday so you can go sit in a hot room and listen to some video talk about marriage? Why would you do that? It's St. Patrick's Day weekend. Let's go get crazy. Or when you make a commitment to being in church regularly, even on daylight savings time day, when it's much easier to just sleep in. When you decide you're going to give some of your hard-earned money to the church and that you're going to give regularly, not just whatever couple of bucks you happen to have. Like, you have a plan to give regularly. People are going to look at you funny. What I've learned, especially in the last couple of years in my life, is that when you, there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit and not having the Holy Spirit. Because when you have the Holy Spirit, you understand truth in a very different way. Your values... The things that you think are important are different than someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit because part of what he does reveals truth. And so he says, you have been anointed and you have knowledge. Knowledge of the truth about who Jesus is. See, if you are a Christian, in addition to receiving the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of eternal life with the Father, in the here and now, in the right now, you have full and complete access to the Holy Spirit. There is a knowledge and an understanding of truth that you have that you didn't before you were a Christian. And that's why he says in verse 21, I write to you because you know the truth, not because you don't know it. You know that God is light. You know that this is the last hour that he is driving out the darkness and in Christ he is making all things new. You know truth. And so what John has been hitting over and over is abide in what you know. Trust what you know. Look at verse 24 and 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Let what you heard from the beginning abide. Let what you heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, abide in you dwell in you, rest in you, and you in it. Rediscover the gospel on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Remind yourself, dwell on the fact that you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and that that God is good and loves you enough to send his Son to die for you, that he is redeeming all things back to himself that he is inviting you into his family, that he is giving you a new identity and a new hope. And so John says, abide in the truth that you know. And as you abide in the truth of the word of God, and you will also abide in, you will also rest in, dwell in the Father and the Son. It is abiding in the truth that you heard from the beginning, soaking yourself in that. It's that reality, this idea of abiding in what you heard from the beginning, this is key to how the Holy Spirit reveals knowledge to us. If we are abiding in the truth, this is an important tool for us to have. Because there are going to be antichrists. There are going to be these false teachers who are going to say, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, we totally got that over here. Yeah, I got that. Knowledge? Uh-huh, definitely. Come listen to us. I got all that. Because they could say all the right words. They could say all the right phrases. But what they will tell you, what they will give you, are lies and deceit you will know this if you steep yourself in what you have heard from the beginning. If you will steep yourself, if you will soak yourself in the truth of the word of God. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And if you do that, you will abide in Christ 
rest in, trust in, dwell in Christ and the Father. And so it's, it's why he says in verse 27, you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Now that is not an excuse to never go to school and never come back to church. I did not just give you permission to do all of those things. He's not saying don't learn from other people. What he's saying is, don't listen to others that would completely, because if he said don't listen to others, that would completely negate most of the New Testament, right? First and second Timothy would be out the window. This letter would be out the window because he's teaching us. So clearly he's not saying don't listen to people who are teaching. What he is saying is you don't need someone to teach you some new secret revelation, some new trick, some new seven steps to total bliss, some secret John is saying you don't need that because you know truth. You've known truth. You have the Holy Spirit, so abide in what you know. The truth of God's word is enough. Remember when he addressed the more mature believers, when he talked about the three levels of spiritual maturity, and he talked about the, the more the fathers and mothers, right? The, the more mature believers and he says in verse 14, he repeated himself twice. He said the same thing to them. He said, you know him who is from the beginning. Why? Why does he repeat the same thing to them? Because that's what mature believers do. They rest in, they dwell in, and continue pursuing knowing God deeper. Their foundation is on the truth of Scripture, and that is what everything else is built on. And so he says, remember, part of what you heard from the beginning, part of what God has promised you, is eternal life. And that's not a new promise. That's not something that just happened to come with Jesus. That's an old promise. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Daniel 12.2 and many of those who sleep in the dust of earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. And then Jesus himself said in John 4, 13, Jesus said to her, talking to the woman at the, at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Because to the one who believes, the one who can move past just intellectual knowledge to an experiential relationship with God, you are promised eternal life. And it's not just eternal life, it's eternal life in the presence of God. Life where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, no more of the things we have to deal with as consequences of sin. Life where we are living the way we were made to live. Life where we have a pure deep relationship with God where we trust him to take care of all of our needs and he does because that's who he is and that's what he does. So we have this problem. We have these false teachers. We have these ones who are trying to push, trying to persuade us in a different way, trying to misdirect us. These antichrists who are here and they sound like the real thing and they seem like the real thing and they may be even in church. They even may call themselves Christians. That's a big problem. And so God deals with this problem by giving us his promise. First, the Holy Spirit. For interpretation, for knowledge, for truth. He is the helper to help us decipher what is and isn't truth. 
And when, that, and when we rest in that truth, when we remain in it and persevere in it, he also promises to the one who perseveres eternal life. God promises, God's promises always exceed the problems we face. God's promises always exceed the problems we face. And so in light of the problems of this world and the promises that God has made, I want to close us with looking at the practice that we can pursue. The practice that we can pursue in light of the problem and the promise. And so the practice is this. Pastor John Piper said, in this passage there are two imperatives, two commands. Verse 24 says, let what you heard abide in you. And then he closes out verse 27. This is, uh, he closes out verse 27, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Abide in truth, abide in Christ. Abide in the word and abide in Christ. Those are the two commands in this passage. Those are the two things John says, do these things. And as we already saw in verse 24, if we abide in the word, if we abide in truth, we will abide in the Son and in the Father. Because the word of God reveals Christ to us. It reveals God to us. Do you have any idea the power and authority and love and grace and truth that is in this book for you? So how do we do this? How do we abide in the Word? How do we do that? If you're going to abide in the Word, it means you've got to be in the Word. And so to help you out, we have our two-year journey that we've been doing. We just took a one-week break. We take a couple of breaks throughout the, this two years. If you haven't done it, if you tried it and you got like two chapters in and you, you bailed, Okay, start again. Get into it. We're starting 1 Samuel this week. We're going to finish up 1 Corinthians, and then we start 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is awesome. It's a lot of action. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. You get some David in there. You get Goliath. Awesome story. Jump in. Jump in this week. And if you get a couple of days in and you miss a day, that's okay. Pick it up. Keep going the next day. Get in the Word. We're doing this together as a community. Start tomorrow. We give you reflections every week to try and help you with that. There are people in this church doing it, so you know there are other people who are reading the same text you're reading every day. Our community groups. If you're not in a community group, jump into one. All of them are set up this semester. We didn't even set it up this way, but it just happened because God's good like that. All of them are set up in such a way where you can jump in without having come to one week, and you can jump right in because they're all studying the Bible. The Sunday night group is literally taking the scripture and just working through, this is how to study the Bible. This is how to, these are the questions to ask. This is how to get the most out of that. Every one of them is studying the word of God. Our sermon series, you guys know, we go verse by verse. So we ended this morning with verse 27. Guess where we're going to start next time I preach? Verse 28. So between now and the next time I preach, read through, read a chunk, starting in 28, go forward. First John's a short book. Read it a couple of times. Get in the Word. If you're going to abide in it, you've got to actually be in it. Another good way to help abide in the Word is pray. Pray before you read. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth and knowledge to you. Pray after you read. God, help me to respond to what you have taught me. Dwell on it. Memorize it. She's not here today, but Monica Friesen is one of the ladies who's leading the women's group on Monday nights. And they're going through James. And so as she's teaching through James, Monica is also, along with work and school and everything else she's doing, she's memorizing the book of James. Not a section of James, she is memorizing the book of James. 
because she's taking little chunks day by day. Now, I'm not saying, like, go memorize Leviticus. That would be very daunting. But you can take whatever your favorite verse is, whatever, a verse from 1 John, maybe, and memorize that. And then maybe add another verse to it. Maybe add another verse to it. And just memorize it, because the best way to memorize it, going over it, over and over and over again. Reciting it over and over again. Dwell on it. Memorize it. Set reminders on your phone that just have the text. Write it out. Print it out. Put it up around your room. Put it up in your car. Have the word in places you're going to see it regularly. Dwell on it. Abide in the word. Rest in it. Trust it. And in doing so, you will abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ? I asked this this week on Facebook. And just about every person who responded to me and every conversation I had where I asked people, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Every one of them said, it looks like regular prayer throughout the day. Regularly just talking to God throughout the day. We're in the season of Lent right now where we're pursuing prayer and, and fasting and generosity. These things don't save you. These things aren't, we don't do this to try and earn God's favor, but we do this to help draw us closer to God. We do this to help us focus ourselves more on who God is. It helps us to abide in him because we're making him a regular focus. One person in the church said, to abide in Christ looks like Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I was talking to Sarah about this. She said abiding in Christ means resting in who you know God to be and your identity in him. And we are talking about this, and it's, it's, think about your home. Your home is a place where you are safe. It's your resting place. It's your sanctuary. Home is that place you can just be. You don't got to wear fancy wool sweaters. You just put some sweatpants on and just be. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing fake. It's just you being you, comfortable. When Christ is your home, you can rest in him. You can just be with him. No show, no act. You're just comfortable, resting. Abiding looks like going through your day, and as life comes up, both the good and the bad, you reflect back on the knowledge that you have the knowledge you have learned from Scripture, and you think, how can I apply this? What does this look like in my life right now in this moment? It's taking life and being present in it at all times. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being aware of our thoughts, not being an autopilot as we go through life, being mindful of where we are and what we are doing. Yes, it is the last hour. Yes, we have Antichrist in the world, and that is a problem for this world. But God is good, and he has made promises to us. He has promised us the Holy Spirit to reveal truth, to be a helper, a helper and a comforter. He has promised us everlasting life for those who persevere and trust and abide in Christ. And so in light of these realities, in order to persevere and abide in Christ, we need to be people who abide in truth. We need to be people who abide in the word. Dwell in it. Rest in it. Trust in it. 
because it reveals a God who made you, who knows you, and who loves you. Let's pray.